Hey listeners, this is Charu Sharma from Silicon Valley and you're listening to Working Moms. We invite impressive working moms from all walks of life to learn about their choices, trade-offs, work-life balance, re-entering the workforce, self-care, their definition of success, financial planning, and much more. Emily is the founder and CEO of Seed and Spark, one of the world's leading crowdfunding platforms for storytellers, filmmakers, podcasters, and so on. And Emily is just one of the most inspiring female founders and moms that I have had the pleasure to know. And we're so, so, so thrilled uh, to have you on the show today. Thanks, Emily, for being here. Wow. Thank you for that incredibly kind introduction. We're so excited. So let's just jump right in. Great. So, you know, let's start with the elephant in the room. Um, It's chaotic with COVID-19 everywhere. And how have you managed everything as a parent who's also a busy founder? (laughs) Um, Well, let's see. Uh, My husband is a gem of a human and has taken on the lion's share of the childcare responsibilities. We used to have full-time childcare and um, we obviously don't now. Um, And I've had to break up my day. uh, So, you know, we have this really clear sort of morning routine and then I sit down to work at 8.30 and I work till 12 and 12 to 1 is family and lunch and a chance for me to give my husband a little bit of a break. Um, For context, we have two toddlers, uh, three and a half and uh, 15 months. Um, And uh, and they're very uh, opinionated. Um, And then I usually stop around three or 3.30. And if I need to, I will pick back up after they go to bed at 7.30. Although usually by then, I'm completely exhausted. So I will say that um, I have less time to do things. And so I have to be much, much more focused about the things that I do. That makes sense. Um, I know these days with the uncertainty and just, oh, just juggling everything, I am tired all the time. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing? Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's really different day to day. So, Um, It's a strange moment for me. I'm very lucky to like possess a relative level of stability um, from a mood perspective. And I think I attribute that to the thing that I also think makes me a good entrepreneur, which is a a pathological optimism. And now is not a great time for pathological optimists. (laughs) Pathological optimism to me is this notion that like, in spite of everything, things are not just going to be fine. They're probably going to be great. And um, you would really have to be deep in your pathology to continue to think that. Um, and so I would say I've been having to do a tremendous amount of reorganizing uh, how I find my energy and resource and also a fair bit more of like lying on the floor in the fetal position and having a little rock uh, than I used to do. <laughs> um, I think it's a really hard time to be a leader and a boss. Um, I think it's a really hard time to be anyone. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not sort of advocating that it's more for anyone or others. But um, the decisions that we're making for our customers, our community, and our teams um, really have taken on a dimension of life and death in a way that 
working in entertainment, uh, they certainly haven't before. And so really having to make our decisions in light of what's going to keep the most people safe um, is a really different calculus than, uh, than I would say we had been using prior to that. That makes sense. You've, you've also said, Emily, that um, privilege means that COVID is affecting parents in completely different ways. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, I'll give you one example. Um, my husband and I lived in an apartment in downtown Los Angeles. And if we had been trapped in that apartment in downtown Los Angeles, we would not have been able to take our kids to the parks, which is like we lived in public parks. Um, and uh, and they would have been extremely uh, like disrupted and upset if we were just in the apartment and they said, I want to go to the park. And we just said no day after day after day. And we were just trapped inside. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that my mom and, uh, stepdad live up in Sacramento in a house that has a front yard and a backyard. And so we came to shelter in place up here and it just took a ton of pressure off to be able to have outdoor space. Sacramento also has one of the lowest infection rates in the wider County because of the way it's sort of spread out as a city, um, and and so we just we feel a lot safer up here um and like it's it's just a function of privilege that i even have access to this space so you know it's it's hard for me and it's hard for us we don't have full time childcare my husband lost all his work and is trying to figure out how to remake himself in this new time he's a personal trainer um and so he's starting to figure out like what it would mean to have online clients, which has never been particularly exciting to him. He's building an absolutely amazing Instagram uh, at Fit Papa Training, which is a combination of like short films, uh, really weird short films, daily workouts, and dad jokes, um, <laughs> which I would say is like a really good summation of who my husband is. Um, <laughs> but but like trying to make sure that he also has time for that and to explore that um is really important um but you know toddlers are relentless um i would say like the advantage we have is like we don't have any scheduled programming so we can make the schedule that works for us i think people who have school age children people whose school age children were relying on their schools for their meals i mean this is much much more difficult than anything that we're experiencing yeah. Um, at this time, how are your relationships being affected, whether it's between you and your husband or your parents or other relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we were lucky to go into this with a very communicative relationship. And so generally speaking, when times get tough, we sort of get stronger. We we take a We take a deep team approach. I think the challenge, of course, is just being able to balance these new variables, right? Where like, if I'm the sole breadwinner, and my company's survival is also part of that breadwinning, um, you know, the pressures on me are specific in a certain way. And if he's now, you know, primarily the sole uh, child caretaker, and it's two toddlers, and they're, <laughs> they're, they can be really tough. Um, the pressures are on him in a very different way and sort of his, you know, the construction of his identity. Um, 
And that's, you know, that's just challenging and it's stuff that we have to talk through and work through. Um, we obviously came up here thinking we were going to shelter in place for two weeks. Mm. Uh, and it's been eight weeks. Um, and it looks like we're here for the foreseeable future. And so like, I didn't think that I was moving back in with my parents. <laughs> uh, that's not how I saw this. Um, and so again, like, adjusting to being like going from being a guest to a roommate um is challenging for all sorts of reasons and you know i think um somebody told me recently that uh in the studies of decision making under stress you will tend to revert to old patterns and habits even if you have done tremendous work in the past couple of years to break those patterns and those habits they're just the more recent stuff you have learned to do will be less accessible to you. So like apply that to moving back in with your parents. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. That's um, so interesting. Yeah. So I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to be really aware of that. And again, like structure communication, these are the only things that really work. Um, and then like getting out of each other's way as much as possible. Yep. Yep. And giving each other space. And, um, like you say, uh, constant communication um so emily you've said that um moms are uniquely suited to navigate this period probably because they're awesome multitaskers and whatnot um what are some tools that founders can use to navigate this period and how are moms uniquely suited to navigate this period i mean i think moms are uniquely suited survivors so that i think that's what i meant by that is that we're we are uh for better or for worse, um, kind of able to step over <laughs> our own needs in favor of making sure everyone's taken care of. And that's a blessing and a curse, right? Um, and I do think that uh, our relationship to those needs has really had to change, right? Like, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of that sort of like, capitalist co-opting of feminism where like self-care was a manicure in the day at the spa. Right? <laughs> and like, if you can't have that, then like you're not taking care of yourself, which like I always thought was horseshit, but now even more than ever, like that better not be your concept of self-care. And similarly, I think um, founders have uh, spent a lot of time often like constructing identities in their professional lives that they think really help move the business forward or like take care or protect them. And sometimes those identities are um, uh, like uh, tough. Um, we're, we're told that you want to have grit and... Um, and and these words that are very like tough and often the metaphors that we're given like war of attrition are war related metaphors like we're army generals and like <laughs> i don't think that's what's going to work right now i think if you're going to survive this crisis um with a team that's intact of any kind it's going to have to be with a profoundly human approach and the challenge there is taking a profoundly human approach requires emotional energy um, and allowing a lot of space for feelings, your teams and your own, um, to affect your work environment because it is affecting your work environment anyway, now more than ever. 
Um, but trying to like shove that amount of feeling down the feelings that are related to, I mean, we have team, I have team members who lost family to COVID-19. I have team members whose family members have been infected by COVID-19. Like we can't be preparing as if our teams are experiencing the best case scenario. We're now absorbing grief and stress and all sorts of things that absolutely can and should affect work productivity. So I I think changing our relationship to how work gets done um, so that it takes into account this like absolute swell of emotions that are unavoidable, the fear, the anxiety, um, again, the grief, um, all of those things that are at like maximum for most people. Um, I think if you're not taking that into account in your workforce, you're going to like drive them into the ground. And so many startups, I mean, the whole sort of startup culture has been built on this grind um, and you can't grind people right now. Yeah. I don't just by the way, I don't think you should ever grind people. Um, we we are definitely not set up that way. Um, and so oddly, I think Seed and Spark has been able to adjust to this relatively quickly. We've had a pretty human, like just very human centered work environment already. Half of our team was already working remotely, and we are built to not be a grind. Um, and so I think our ability to j- adjust to this is maybe. Um, uh, a little greater than a company that was sort of like driving everybody really hard, like in the office, competitively working late. Like I think those companies are really struggling right now and they should be. That makes sense. Um, we were talking before the podcast recording how um, you know, you've stuck with your company for almost nine years. And as a startup founder myself, I know the ups and downs and I've had the best days of my life and the worst days of my life emotionally and in every other way through my startups. Yep. Um, what gives you the drive to just stick with the lows? Um, and, and, you know, especially being a mom, because I can only imagine how you must feel pulled in all sorts of different directions. So mm. what gives you the drive to keep going and what sort of trade-offs and choices have you had to make? That's such a big question. Um, so I was saying to you before this that I think if I had to like boil it down very simplistically, it's that I really don't like when things are unfair. And I see the work that we're doing at Seed and Spark is building greater equity um, and helping to distribute power more equitably uh, into communities because power comes through visibility. It comes through voice. Um, and that's so much of what we are are doing for creators. It also comes through like sustainable economics um, in this current system. And so those are the things that we're working towards. And um, I'm never going to stop caring about those. I would have to be working on that problem in whatever sector or in some way um, for the rest of my life. And I, I managed to find it in a place that feels um, really good to me um, and where I feel capable. Um, yeah, the trade-offs are tremendous, right? Um, uh, I've I've given over probably too much of my identity to Seed and Spark um, and to its success. And I think my work over the last couple of years has been trying to figure out how to become less tied um, in my personal life to Seed and Spark's successes and failures. Because now that I am a mom, um, my life is made up of so many more equally, if not more important things than my company. 
Um, and so if my identity were only tied to that one thing, that one place where there's success or failure, uh, I would really be doing my family a disservice. And I think I, you know, I have to credit my husband also for, you know, I think without ever saying it, he has made me realize that, uh, it's not, it's not terribly fair for me to bring home, uh, like the, the successes and failures of seed and spark can't also be my husband's problem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, um, they they are to the extent that like he's such a he's such a supportive partner and has really helped me talk through some of the hardest problems and he is such a profound empath and so I think helps me also take the most human approach but but he's also a fierce advocate for me so he's the one who's helping me I think not lose myself in this and I would say that um I've had to like just my husband notwithstanding like I've had to build communities of those people around me right so peers uh other entrepreneurs who we can get on the phone and just sort of um we can either roll through like a particularly in difficult a difficult like investment situation or um you know partnership or hiring or how are you I have a friend um who has um a company based out of New York, our startups are almost the same age. And both of our children were born within like a month or two of each other. Oh, wow. Um, and so we sort of, we're like, like deep in the sister moment and we will just call each other occasionally and be like, how are you? How's it going? And I do think that piece of it is really important is just having the, the check-in. I'm so happy to hear that you have a supportive partner who makes it a little bit easier for you to achieve the things on the balance that you want to achieve. Um, I am also very lucky like that. I have an amazing husband. We got married last year. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, so I'm in my late 20s and uh, we're both really, you know, entrepreneurs at our core. Um, so as we, as we plan our future, as we think about our next companies, uh, and we don't work together, but as we plan our next companies or when to have the right, uh, what's the right time to have our kids, um, I think one of my biggest concerns is how will we make it work financially? Because one of my biggest, you know, just one of my absolute biggest weapons right now is that I can survive on very little and yep. I don't need much financial security, yep. uh, especially um, in my 20s right now. Yep. Um, so, and, you know, raising kids is so expensive. Yep. How, um, how did you make it work financially? And what, again, what choices and trade-offs did you have to, have to make um, that we all can learn from? So for the first six months after Cody was born, that's my older son, um, my husband stopped working and stayed home. And at that time, Seed and Spark was running out of the ground floor of the house that we were living in. So I would like, I went, I took, I took three-ish months leave-ish. Um, and, uh, you know, I would go upstairs uh, to nurse however many times a day that was. I don't even remember anymore. A million. It was a million times a day. Um, and uh, and then he got a job in, um, he's, he, he's an actor also, and he got a job in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for three months. Um, and I tried when Cody was six or seven months old 
to straddle it. And my mom would come down to LA um, and spend time with us and take care. And then she got, I feel like at that time she got pneumonia. So all of a sudden I was like, okay, I don't have Brennan. I don't have my mom. I'm going to have to hire um, childcare. And then I was paying nearly every cent that I was earning to childcare, (laughs) like Um, immediately. Right. Um, and it was not reliable. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't quite piece the things together. And, um, I couldn't quite like wrap my head around daycare also because I had a really erratic schedule. So the idea that there would be sort of like drop off and pick up time. And, um, that was, you know, I know that there are people who make it work. So people make it work through structure. Um, and also people make it work through like, you know, giving up time. Um, but without the help of my mom and then my husband's parents, uh, like subsidized a couple years worth of full-time childcare. Uh, and that made a huge difference. And absent that, our kids would have been in daycare kind of out the gate. Um, I think, unfortunately, this is very tied to the city that you live in. So if you live in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, um, and New York, you're going to be paying like one to two thirds of somebody's income to childcare, um, like full stop, kind of whatever, like, and, and then it's like, can you get into the daycares, <laughs> right? Um, yep. Uh, and that's also part of why we are kind of taking this opportunity to leave LA for a little while and, and figure out what's next. Um, it's devastating because the nanny that we've been with for years is the best person I have ever been around. (laughs) Like I just love her. Um, but also, uh, we have to find something that is more sustainable for us financially and doesn't rely on again, like the very privileged piece of like being able to get help from our parents. But like, I would say a lot of the people that I know in LA who aren't themselves like wealthy because of the work that they do are getting help from, from family, uh, in order to sustain it. Um, so in New York, I have friends who's like mother-in-law moves in, right. Um, or they move closer to family where they can resource share. Um, and then in Seattle, my friends are nanny sharing. Um, and, uh, I think we're, we're like on the cusp of one of our kids being able to go to school. So now I'm very interested in being in a place where, um, uh, I can send my kid to, to public school. Yeah. Um, one of the trends I'm also seeing is, especially in big cities, um, women seem to be choosing to have kids later and later in life. So, A, they're making more money, and so it makes a lot of sense for them to be able to, you know, keep their job um, while also managing childcare, but also, especially if they're not a founder, if they work for someone else, yep. the more senior they are, the more yep. leverage they have in their career, so they yep. can dictate that schedule and sort of, you know, demand yep. that flexibility. Yep. But it's also sort of messing up people's personal plan for the sort of, you know, life and family life that they had wanted. Yeah. Look, uh, capitalism is a bad system for families. Um, 
And I think there are a lot of people I know who are realizing in the pandemic that the the notion of the nuclear family, that you sort of like leave your home behind and go start a new unit that is an independently operating unit um, <clears throat> is not really good in an emergency situation. Yeah. Right. So the friends of mine who don't live at all near their families are really, really struggling right now. Um, so like, it's one thing to sort of like, can we come up with band-aids for this giant gaping wound in our system? Uh, or should we talk about like fundamentally restructuring the notion of work? And what I think is advantageous about this moment is there are now big conversations about fundamentally restructuring the notion of work um, that can be more flexible around a whole host of needs. So, you you know, you have people with disabilities who are like, are you all absolutely fucking kidding me that right now everybody is getting access to the work accommodations that we have been fighting for for years and being told were not possible and literally overnight you can make those possible to your entire workforce similarly i feel like the flexibility that women have been asking for and advocating for for since we've been allowed to join the workforce um is all of a sudden more available to everyone overnight than it ever has been before <laughs> And I am very sorry that it's taking a global pandemic to do that. But like, we, we can't keep trying to like put band-aids on a broken system. We are pushing women's bodies to the very limit. Um, I had my children at 36 and 39, um, or 38, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's because I couldn't, you know, I didn't feel like I had the appropriate footing. It's too expensive to have children. It was unstable. My family wasn't where I was. I mean, all the things that we think are um, are uh, like steadfast rules of how things have to be when in fact the whole system is set up to continually grind women down. Um, and it's it's working. I mean, we're, we're really tough. Um, <laughs> But I, it's not like I talk to any women out there who are like, yeah, I'm having a great time. Yep. So I have a slightly personal question or maybe bordering on slightly insensitive, but I think you can take it. So um, <laughs> uh, this is exciting. <laughs> um, do you think you missed out on career or life opportunities um, because you're a mom? Do, do you think being a mom limited you? And how does it make you feel? That's super interesting. I mean, there are definitely things I didn't go to uh, because I was, you know, pregnant or nursing or whatever. And I, so I have a bit maybe of a different perspective, which is that anything that I missed out on because it doesn't account for mom's needs, I wasn't interested in getting anyway. <laughs> Um, and I do think there, the advantage to being a founder mom is you write the rules for your own success. And so you can fundamentally rewrite them to incorporate children in a way that works for you. So like, I get to set the boundaries, I get to say what's important enough for me to go to, and I get to deliciously decline things and blame my children, which is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> 
Um, uh, so I, I think it's, I think it's much harder and there is a, a more brutal operational loss if you work in a corporate environment where any day you're not at work is a day that you're not sort of exerting your power inside a very specific hierarchical structure. Um, I think founders have uh, a bit more leeway. And again, like if there's like an investor I didn't meet because I didn't go to drinks the right way one night, like I didn't need to meet that person. So I, I have a little bit of a like, you know, I'm only doing this and I'm only I'm only taking all the risk on myself so that I can write the rules and so that I don't have to spend time being like, did I miss out? Um, because I just, I'm not interested in that, uh, in burning any energy on that at this point. What I am missing out on is like vacations with my friends, you know, well, now we're all missing out on that. What I was really missing before I should say is like, <laughs> when will we get to go or like, or just like in the, a weekend away with my husband? Like, that's what I was missing. Um, I feel like I miss social opportunities and I've definitely missed like weddings that I wish I didn't miss um, because of the business. But, uh, um, but no, I don't, I don't worry about uh, business opportunities that I miss because I've made, I mean, I've made this opportunity for myself. Right. So um, I don't think about that in the same way. And I I think in some ways, like, um, thinking about who I want to be in business with, I would say that being a mom has been something of an advantage because it's a real barometer to me for who I'm working with, how they respond um, to my needs as a working mom or my boundaries as a working mom. Um, You know, like the investor who kind of made a side-eye question about what is it going to mean when your child is born um, revealed more about himself than anything than he revealed anything about me. Cause I was just like, I don't know when your second child was born, did you let your first one die? <laughs> you know, like I just, yeah. there's just not really a, um, I don't really want to engage that way. Um, and I feel like I get, you know, I get to choose. Absolutely. Um, you were you were briefly mentioning the difference between uh, being a founder versus being an employee um, and the flexibility that comes with being a founder. Now, um, you know, while while it's it's awesome that way to be a founder, it's not for everyone, and it comes with a lot of stress and uncertainty and ambiguity that not everybody is um, comfortable with, that everyone desires or aspires to, right? And so, um, for a lot of moms. Um, you know, whether earlier in their career or later, but if if they're burned out at work and they don't feel appreciated and, you know, they're moms and they just want to be at home with their kids, yeah. um, what is, but, they, but they want to work, uh, but they just don't like their job. What advice do you have for them? I think it's really tough because I think so much of it has to do with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like if you need that job to put food on the table, um, I think it's really hard to say to someone like, follow your heart. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think what it does bring into sharp relief is the sacrifices that you make. So if you are not lit on fire by your job, uh, 
it can feel much more painful to go back to work and just be like, ugh, this is what I'm missing time with my children for. Conversely, you can definitely have time that you're spending with your children where you're like, I really wish I could be at work right now. Like <laughs> that's, that's just true also because kids are exhausting too. Um, that being said, like that in and of itself, I think is a privileged choice, right? Um, that, that very few people, I remember, I will never forget this. I remember walking into a bank to make a deposit and Cody was six weeks old, maybe eight weeks old. And I had him on my hip and I was making the deposit and the teller was like, oh, how old? And I said, six weeks. She's like, oh my gosh, mine too. And I left the bank and I cried (laughs) because she was back at work at six weeks and like I was not fully healed, right? I was still bleeding. I was still um, really recovering from the physical ramifications of, uh, of pregnancy and childbirth. And this woman was on her feet all day already um, as a bank teller and like, you know, didn't seem salty about it. Right. Um, So, you know, it's, again, like the system that we've set up is one that is not friendly to women at all. And so sort of trying to come up with these band-aid solutions of like, you know, how to find more satisfaction in your work when like this shouldn't be the paradigm of like pick one and, and you can only be satisfied a little bit, you know? Um, I just think I, I, I really want us to get to some sort of paradigm shift beyond this where, um, our ability to like feed our families is more integrated into being part of our families as opposed to like, really having to to put away a human a very human part of ourselves in order to engage in this quote unquote professional environment and then come back home and be a totally different person it's just um i think it's really challenging and like what i love about this new zoom meeting era is everybody's getting interrupted by their kids it's the best yeah like you're having to have a meeting while somebody like i was on the phone with a new team member yesterday and uh, my daughter stuck her finger as far into my ear as anything has ever gone <laughs> ever, you know? And like, she witnessed that. And I, I like, we had a huge laugh about it. And then we had to like, go on talking about stuff. And I would rather that be the the case than, you know, me listening to her scream in the other room because I'm not, you know, I can't be present for her. Um, and then try to work through that distraction. Like you're distracted either way. Let's at least have a fun distraction. Yeah, that sounds adorable. And I can see how that probably quickly changed the the whole uh, tone of the meeting. Yes, it did. Um, so Emily, um, what are, say, two things that workplaces can do in terms of policies or culture changes that could make life a little easier for working parents? Um, tremendous flexibility. Um, and flexibility that acknowledges every stage of parenthood comes with very different uh, needs. Um, very long paid maternity and paternity leave. Uh, that's going to take government intervention to make it feasible, especially for startups. Um, uh, pay equity. Um, 
a, a, a human, a, like a deeply human workplace that allows people to take flex time, paid time off. Um, it's not a place where you have to like write notes in order to be able to take your kid to the doctor. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. I could, I could go on. I think there, there, are people, there are people who are actually expert at this. Um, so uh, an investor actually who you introduced me to, Caitlin Holloway, is like at the very forefront of this. Um, and she's been thinking about this for many years. So um, I don't want to purport to be an expert in all the things. Those are just the ones that come to mind. So Emily, what advice do you have for women and men who are planning to have kids but are scared about it affecting their careers? <laughs> It will. It will affect your career. It will affect how you feel about your career. It will affect everything in your life. So like your very worst fears will be absolutely realized and that's fine. <laughs> like we we continue to make people as a species and find a way. Um, and I just hope that in becoming a parent, you also become an advocate for other parents and caretakers in the process. Like learn from your experiences and let it soften and change you as much as possible. Um, uh, and, and let it make you, uh, you know, a fierce warrior in your workplace and in your world for making it easier for the next person. Um, I think there is this sort of mentality of like, you know, all parenthood is suffering and you should suffer the way I suffered. And it's like, yes. So, you you go into contract with somebody and the contract is they take and you give and that's the contract right and that's the contract in perpetuity um and it doesn't mean there aren't incredibly rewarding things about being a parent but they don't often come in the form of somebody being like i really want to let you know i really appreciate your parenting um like as your kid that's not that's not what's happening so um <laughs> so i would say that i feel like um those fears are perfectly justified. Um, and in spite of those fears, if you make the courageous decision to become a parent in, in any of the ways, whether you're adopting or fostering or caretaking or being a, a reliable, you know, auntie or, or godparent or step parent, um, it's lean into the ways that it can change you and um, let that reveal to you the pieces of our system that need changing. Yeah, that was very honest. Um, I'm sorry that I can't like, I'm not comforting you. <laughs> um, uh, and I think like any parent who is, you know, um, as all parents in the world are simultaneously living through coronavirus together, None of us is like, yeah, this is easy. No problem. I'm having a great time. Uh, you know, like the, I have friends whose kids are more or less grown and now they're sheltered in place effectively with like six adults. And they're like, this has its own challenging dimensions. Right? <laughs> um, so I just, I don't think that, um, I don't think that there is a, a way to alleviate fears, especially not in this environment. Like I don't, I don't necessarily know that like Canadians approach uh, parenting with the same, the same kinds of fears that we do when there is, you know, my, my founder friend, um, he and his wife collectively had like nine or 12 months of 
uh, government-supported family leave to take whenever they needed it. Oh, wow. That would make me feel differently. Like, I was back at work at 10 days with Mina. Not because... Um, at, so, Seaton's Park, we have, you know, three months paid leave and then a return sort of on your time and at your pace. And that's that's what we currently offer. And I would love to get to a place where we can offer something substantially more generous than that um, uh, or substantially more supportive, really, is what I should say, than that. Um, but, uh, you know, founders especially have the challenge of how do you take time off and I was able to do it more with my first than I was with my second. And if there had been, you know, a system in place, like a government program that Mm. makes it possible for every working person to have um, paid parental leave, um, that would have alleviated a lot, a lot, a lot of stress for me and for my family. Absolutely. Um, It's crazy how much disparity there is around the world. I mean, I come from a family in India where women were not allowed to work when I was growing up. Um, so, you know, it doesn't even matter what the government does in your family. You're not even allowed to leave home and go out and work. So I've grown up seeing my, my mom, my, my cousins who are in my generation just feel so trapped and just frustrated by not being able to have an identity of their own. Um, so because I grew up like that, I feel so grateful to be in the U S right now where where I I can be ambitious. Yeah. Um, But I mean, there are countries that are even better. Yes. all have a long way to go that's right yeah I mean I like it it is absolutely there is a sliding scale and um what what we're missing here uh is the sense of uh like dedication to family um and cooperation with family right so we we have less of that present in all of our um all of our structures. And that's the piece that, that I feel really lucky that like I can be with my mom and stepdad now, regardless of, you know, whatever complications, uh, otherwise that might create. Um, it's, it's way better than just being a nuclear unit right now and only having my husband and I to rely on. That makes sense. Um, I'd love to end on a fun and endearing note. Okay. Um, so it, I appreciate how honest you've been about the struggles, but also the rewards of being a parent. Um, especially the the recent few weeks sound very difficult uh, and trying. Um, but I'd love to hear uh, like a fun, cute anecdote or something fun that that you know one of your kids have done or said. Um, can you tell us a cute little story? I mean, God, there are so many. Um, my favorites recently are all that. <laughs> My kids have gotten very accustomed to walking up while I am on a Zoom call and just greeting everyone. So they just come up. My my daughter, who is is just now becoming verbal, comes up and goes, hi, hi, <laughs> and like waits to greet everybody and waves at everybody and engages with everybody. And now that she's really starting that like amazing babbling phase, she'll just she'll just in, take over the meeting, right? And <laughs> start talking to everybody. My son now is starting to recognize the people that I'm regularly on meetings with. So huh. he'll, <laughs> the other day I was having a meeting with my co-founder who he knows, um, but he comes up and just casually is like, hi, Blessing, how's Kaylin? That's her husband. 
Um, like <laughs> they've just become a part of my working life in a way that I'm, um, I love. And frankly, like my team and my, um, the people that I'm also meeting with seem to love also. Um, I get regular requests for Mina time as a part of our all hands meeting. So I think, um, I think we've moved to sort of a new level of integration. Oh, that sounds so fantastic. It's pretty cute. I mean, they're, I mean, I know I'm biased, but like, they're really cute. Um, well, this has been so insightful um, and fun and just very, very honest and uh, inspiring. So thank you, Emily, thank for you. making time for this. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for doing this and for asking these like hard and challenging questions. Um, I'm really excited that you're doing this and to be a regular listener of this podcast. Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share with your friends and subscribe to Working Moms wherever you get your podcast. Have a great day and I'll talk to you next week.